All right, y'all ready? Ready to get in the Word? I know you've come prayed up. I know you've come prepared, ready to receive the Word of God. We are continuing in our series, the volume of the book. If you are a guest with us, we are glad you're here. And it just so happens we land on a story that I would think many people, I wouldn't say most, but I would say many people um, are somewhat familiar with. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter one, the book of Jonah. That's in your minor prophets. You might have to grab that table of contents. If you're not familiar with your Bible, grab that. And if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one close to you. And uh, you can, I'd love for you to, to, to look along with us. I don't have every verse on the screen. But uh, the book of Jonah, so if you remember last week, uh, we, we covered uh, 2 Kings chapters 10 to 14. And uh, along with that, we covered the prophet Joel because Joel rise during that time. All right, well, we're not going to get much further in 2 Kings 14. In fact, we're only going to read one verse in 2 Kings 14 um, because the, Jonah writes during that time, during that, during that time of 2 Kings chapter 14. We know that he follows Joel. I'll, I'll give you an example of that here later on, but I'm trying to give you a little bit of time to find the book of Jonah. Now, just so you know, we're also going to be turning in our Bibles to the book of Nahum as well, and that should be a couple books to your right, right? Jonah, Mike, and Nahum. So we're going to go to Nahum here in just a little while, so you might want to just cue that up. But I think for the most part, I've got the rest of the verses uh, up on the screen. I'm glad that you're here. You guys glad to be here? That was a good, that was a good morning, wasn't it? Man, it's just phenomenal seeing lives change and people submitting to Christ and following the Lord with their life and Man, I'm all about that, and I, I hope you are too. And what you find as we look at Jonah is he's not all about that, right? He's not all about everybody following the Lord with their life. He's, he's interested in him following the Lord with his life, and he's interested in his people following the Lord with his life, but not necessarily everybody, right? And we'll, we're going to unpack that uh, rather quickly. So if you have a bulletin on the back is, is a study sheet, and this is going to go relatively quick until we get towards the end, because the bulk of the message is towards the end. Um, but I've titled the message, Biblical Disobedience. Biblical Disobedience, and no, that's not a typo, all right? And we talk about biblical obedience all the time, but I'm talking about biblical disobedience, and that's going to make sense towards the end, right? When we get to chapter four, it's going to make a lot of sense. But off, off the jump, let me just grab a couple things and we're going to pray and then we're going to dive into this thing. This is a story. Here's your first blank. This is a story of God using a biblical man that ministers to his people. So when you grab the book of Jonah, you need to understand that he is mentioned in scripture. Second Kings chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, it says he restored, this is, this is Jotham, King Jotham. He restored the, the or Jehu, he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord of God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of a servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer, verse 26, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel. See, Israel's going through some affliction. They're being, they're being having raids put in on, onto them. And, and uh, so God uses Jonah to speak into the king, and the king hears it, and he says, okay, the Lord sees the affliction of Israel. He tells him, hey, you need to shore up some things within your country. All right, so God uses Jonah to accomplish that. All right, but here's your second point. This is a story of God using a biblical man to convict his people. So how many of you would say you're somewhat familiar with the story of Jonah? 
Raise your hand. All right, if you're not, that's fine. So Jonah is a prophet that God tells him to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. And you see that in, in verse one. So he says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh go and cry against it. And of course, Jonah's like, I ain't having that. I don't want that. And so he gets up and he goes the opposite way. He runs through this place. He's on his way to Tarshish, like he thinks he can run away from the presence of the Lord. Well, God, long story short, brings a big storm and the, the merchant men on the boat toss him overboard. We'll, we'll look at all this in a few moments. And then God has a big fish swallow him. After a while, he cries out to God and, and uh, the fish vomits him. That's the Bible word. And the, the fish vomits him back up on dry land. He makes his way to Nineveh. It's a city of three days journey. He walks into town for a day. He proclaims, um, yea, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. The whole city hears it and they repent. Jonah gets upset because they repent. And the whole big lesson is, hey, Jonah, you ought to get my heart, and uh, I want to I see people get right with me. That's the whole story. That's Jonah. We're going to look at some of those details here in just a few moments. But Jesus uses this story as a teaching object or to convict the men and women that he's dealing with. So God uses the story of a biblical man to convict his people. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 41. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 41, it says, this is Jesus, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it by, by the sign of the prophet Jonah. So the, they, they come to him and they say, hey, show us a sign. He's like, uh, okay, you're asking for a sign. Only evil, adulterous generations ask for a sign, and the only sign you're going to get is that which is already written, the prophet Jonas. Look at uh, verse 40. He says, for as Jonah, this is very important, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, hold on to that, three days and three nights in the whale's, whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. A couple things I want to pull out of here. Number one, Jesus takes the, the, the story of Jonah literally. This is not an allegory. This is not just some story that somebody, no, Jesus refers to Jonah as, an in, as a literal person, and he refers to the story in a literal way. So he believes it literally happened. Therefore, you should believe that it literally happened. All right, now we'll unpack that a little bit more. You're telling me Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. How, how could you believe that? Oh, I believe something even crazier than that. Just hold on, hold on, we're gonna go for a ride. All right, so yeah, I, I believe that. But he says, as he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall I, that's the son of man, he's referring to himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's speaking of himself. He says, I'm going to die. And I'm going to go into the heart of the earth. And Peter tells us that he preaches to captives in, in captivity and three nights, and he resurrected the third day. Praise the Lord. That's why we have salvation. But he's letting the Jews know, listen, you're wanting a sign and you have the written word of God. Use the word of God to convict you. All right, so that's the second point. Here's the third point. This is a story of God using a biblical man to reach Gentiles, to reach Gentiles. Now, you're in Jonah. Grab Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, the Ninevites are from Assyria, right? The Ninevites are from Assyria, and they are Gentiles. In other words, they're not Jews. And this is interesting because now God is using one of his people to travel from where he is all the way to Nineveh 
to preach to them and to protect them and say, hey, I'm going to destroy you if you don't repent. This is God reaching Gentiles. And so God calls on Jonah through his word. I want you to see that in verse one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Why was God able to come to Jonah through his word? It's because Jonah was in a position to hear his word. That's the reality. Well, I feel like God hasn't given me any direction. Okay, quit asking for a sign and get into his book. You got to get that. Well, I feel like I'm not hearing anything from the Lord. I feel like God's not giving me any direction. You put yourself in a position to hear from God and he will speak to you. God's into speaking to his people and he doesn't give you an audible voice. What does he give you? That which is written. Jesus just gave us that demonstration. Jesus said, you don't need a sign. You need the written word of God. All right, so then God calls this, this Jonah out. He says, verse two, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Well, that doesn't sound bad. That sounds kind of good, right? God doesn't want the Ninevites to be destroyed. And so he's giving them an opportunity to repent, and he uses a Jew to reach these Gentiles. All right, so Romans chapter 15. Just, you've got to get heart, God's heart on this thing. Romans chapter 15, verses 9 to 11. It says, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. It says, as it is written for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles. He's quoting Psalm 18, verse 49. And what Paul is teaching us in Romans is that God is interested in reaching the Gentiles. How many Gentiles have we got in the room today? Y'all need to be raising your hands. That's who you are. If you're not Jewish by nature, you are naughty by nature. You are Gentile. That's, that's who you are until you met Jesus Christ. Because the moment you met Jesus Christ, you are no longer Jew and you are no longer Gentile. You are a member of the body of Christ. You're a member of the church. All right, so, but he's laying it out to the church. God is interested in reaching the Gentiles. So he quotes Psalm 18, verse 49. And sing it to the night, verse 10. And again, he saith, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. And then verse 11, he says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you peoples, quoting Psalm 117, verse 1. So here's, here's Paul quoting Old Testament scripture saying, God is interested in reaching the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. God is an equal opportunity savior. Praise Jesus. Amen? All right. But when, when God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to go reach Nineveh, these aren't just any, new, these aren't just any Gentiles. These are like really bad ones. These are wicked ones. In fact, he even says their wickedness has come up before me. In other words, it's piled so high. I can't, I can't hide from this. These are notoriously wicked people from Nineveh. And Jonah, in his heart, is prejudiced against anybody that's from Assyria. He can't stand it. He's prejudiced. It has got some validity on how the Assyrians have treated his nation over time. Well, there ain't no room for prejudice within God's people, is there? Hello? There ain't no room for that. And what we know is we just compare Scripture with Scripture. What we know is God's going to use Jonah. He's going to go to Nineveh. They're going to repent. Jonah's going to get hot around the collar about that. And they're going to get right with Jesus or right with the Lord. And then they're going to go right back to their wicked ways. Now, all this is happening around circa 2 Kings chapter 14. But I want to skip ahead to 2 Kings chapter 17. Just three chapters later. 
Because these Ninevites are the ones who are eventually going to take Israel captive. So 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. It says, in the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria, that's the Ninevites, right? Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. In the ninth year of the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Helah in the Habor, sorry, in Habor by the river Gozen in the cities of the Medes. All right, so I've got a, I've got a map, a couple maps I want you to look at. The first one is what it looked like in Jonah's day. So Jonah is from that, that Gath Hefer, right? Give me a G, give me an A. I mean, that's weird, right? So you have Gath Hefer, that's where he's from. And he says, okay, here, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to rise and I want you to go to Nineveh all the way on the far right, right? I want you to go across that desert. I want you to make your way all the way to Nineveh. Well, he, he goes down to Joppa and he gets on a ship and he goes on his way to Tarshish. Now, we don't know where Tarshish is, but the assumption is we're going all the way to Spain which is a couple thousand miles the opposite direction of where he's went all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, making his way there. Now, look at this next map. This is modern-day Nineveh. It's the Iraq city of Mosul. I was, I was texting Scott about a month ago. Hey, you been, you been to Mosul? He goes, oh, yeah, I've been there. Well, you've been to Nineveh. You've been to, if you've been there, you've been, to, you've been to Nineveh because Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian nation, but now it's in modern-day Iraq. In fact, the whole section that Mosul's in is the province of Nineveh, still today. So understand where we're dealing with. We're dealing in northern Iraq today. You can go to Mosul, and you can look over, and you can see the ruins of Nineveh. You can see them today, just like God said he was going to do. Now, let me take you to 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24 says, And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha, <clears throat> and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. Kale, okay, can you go back to that last map we were just at? So, Iraq, so Babylon would be, uh, sorry, I don't have it up here, but Babylon's a little further to the south. And the king of Assyria is ruling over all that land, and God says, okay, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to cry against it. Sure enough, he does. Well, they repent, but it's not lasting repentance. And eventually the Assyrian army leaves Mosul and they make their way all the way across Syria, down Jordan, into the land of Canaan, into, into um, Israel, and they seize the 10 northern tribes. And they take them captive and they rip them out of the land. And then he takes people from his land and redistributes people across and moves them into that country. That doesn't happen, does it? You're seeing it happen today. They're conquering by displacing and moving people groups. That's exactly what happens with the Assyrians. So go back to 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24. So what the king of Assyria does, he takes men from Babylon and he places them in the cities of Samaria. He picks them up from where you're living. Hey, I got a new opportunity. We are going to go colonize. We're going to go take another land for ourselves. And boom, they pick them up and they move them out. And the Israelites have been now taken out. Now, here's what God does. Go to Nahum. Go to Nahum. Just two books to the right. Go to Nahum chapter 1. <coughs> so God judges Nineveh. This is how it ends for Nineveh. Now, he judges them, but he gives them a space to repent first because that's God's character. 
right? He never just judges. He gives an opportunity to respond and get right. And sure enough, that's what he does with Jonah. He's giving them an opportunity to get right. They do, but then they go wrong real quick. All right, so according to Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious, and the Lord take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. Now let's look at verse 14. So he's not going to let them get away with it. He's writing to the book, or sorry, he's writing to the book. He's writing to the people of Nineveh. So Jonah is about Ninevites, Nahum is about Ninevites. Look at verse 14. And the Lord hath given commandment concerning thee, Nineveh, that no more of thy name be sworn out of the house of thy gods. Will I cut off the graven image and the molten image, and I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Wow, okay, well, that's, that, that's pretty crazy. They're not going to escape that. Verse chapter 2, look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Behold, I am against these, talking to the nation of Israel, or sorry, the Assyrians, talking to the Ninevites. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I will burn her chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messenger shall no more be heard. In other words, we're going to squash you. You are going to be left nothing. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Behold, I'm against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face. Now, ladies, I've never worn a dress. That's a lie. I wore a dress once, but it was for eye club back in high school, and I had shorts on underneath them, right? But I've never worn a dress, but I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be walking around with a dress and it being really windy, and the dress comes, that, that would just terrify me. I would never wear a dress ever if that ever happened to me. Well, that's kind of what God's saying. It's like, hey, uh, I'm going to bring it, make it windy. Your skirt's going to go up over your head, and everybody's going to see everything. That's what he's saying. We're going to reveal it for what it is. Whew, okay, verse 6. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and then make thee vile, and will set thee a gazing stock. Verse 7. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? In other words, everybody's going to recognize and see only God can take out the Assyrians. All right, go to chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, there's no healing of thy bruise. You ain't getting, there's no healing on this one. I gave you the opportunity to repent. You repented, but you went right back to your wicked way. Ain't no healing. There ain't no opportunity for you now. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the bruise of thee shall clap their hands over thee, for upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. Wow, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening there. But I just want you to get this. God is sending Jonah to a people group so that that doesn't happen to them. Does that make sense? So what we're doing is we're seeing how it's going to end for them, but not before God gives them an opportunity to repent. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 13. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 13. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. You get an opportunity later on today, grab Google Earth. Pop it up, type in Nineveh, type in Mosul, zoom right over it, and it's exactly word for word like Zephaniah chapter 2 said it was going to be. It is dry like a wilderness and there ain't nothing in it. It's green around it, but not inside the city. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. All right, 
Let's go back to Jonah. Let me give you your next point. Because this is a story of God using a biblical man who chose disobedience. So here's a biblical man. We're going to unpack that here in a second. But he, he chooses disobedience. And it says this in verse 3. So God tells him to go. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Notice this, from the presence of the Lord. Is that possible? Can you run away from God? Good luck. You're not going to do it. You can't outrun God. But here's what Jonah has, he's figured out. If I'm in obedience to the Lord, then I'm in his presence. If I'm in disobedience from the Lord, then I'm no longer in his presence. And that'll preach because that is the truth. So he's choosing disobedience. He's running from God's presence because he doesn't want to see other people come to God's presence. Does that make sense? That's really what's happening here with the story of Jonah. So he gets up and he runs to, um, he goes down to the Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, it's going to cost you, and went down into it. So he goes down to the Joppa, goes down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God is moving in Nineveh, and I'm going the opposite. I'm going 2,000 miles the other way. That's what he's thinking. So he rose and went. He just went the wrong way. That's what he did. Now I got another map for you. I got another map. This is Jonah's journey. So he's in Gathifer, goes down to Joppa. He's like, nah, I'm, I'm heading to Tarshish. He should have been, instead of hopping on a ship, he should have hopped on a camel right? He should have hopped on a camel. Let's, let's make our way to Nineveh. Would, it would have taken about a month to get there. Would have taken him a chunk of time to get there, but he could, have, he could have done it. But he doesn't do that. Now, look at verse 4. Verse 4. It says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But check this out. But Jonah was gone, which way? Down into the ship, sides of the ship. And he lay and was fast asleep. Isn't that interesting? So God sends a storm to redirect Jonah. But where's Jonah? He's sound asleep. Isn't it interesting? There's a cost to disobedience. We talk about a cost of discipleship, but there's a cost of disobedience too. He pays the fare. He goes down to Joppa. He pays the fare, goes down to the ship. The storm comes and he goes down into the sides of the ship and he goes asleep. It's interesting. He pays the fare thereof, but also the people around him also pay the price of his disobedience too. Did you know when you're disobedient to the Lord, it doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody else around you. Why is this person all of a sudden showing up in my life, going the way that I'm going? It might be that they're running away from God. Be careful. Because you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer along with them. But notice that he's asleep. And maybe off to the side, you might want to just write this down. Sleep sometimes is the avoidance of responsibility. You ever been around somebody that sleeps nonstop? They're always asleep. They're always sound. Why are they sleeping? They're avoiding responsibility. They're avoiding consequence for their actions. What's he doing? He's comfortable in his disobedience, but he's sound asleep. And I'm telling you, you got people who are sleeping all the time, they're running. 
they are running. Because when I'm asleep, I'm not getting conviction. Y'all with me? Sure enough, that's what he's doing. Sound asleep. Well, they come to him. It's like, what are you doing? Look at, look at, uh, look at uh, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? I'm a prophet of the Lord. And uh, whence camest thou? Uh, came from Gath. Hefer. Uh, what is thy country? I'm, I'm a Jew. And of what people art thou? Um, I'm, I'm from the 10 northern tribes. I'm from Gath. Hefer. Amittai is my daddy. Right? So he's laying it all out. Where are you from? What are you doing? Why are you on my boat? Pretty much the ask. they're asking the question, why are you here? Because we had no problems how you got here. You are the problem. You're the one. All right, verse 10. Then were the men exceeding afraid and said unto him, why, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them, oh yeah, by the way, I'm running from Jesus. I'm running from the Lord. Oh, thanks. So now I'm driving the getaway vehicle. Thanks. I can't outrun God and now you brought him, now you're chasing after me. Thanks. And so they ask him, hey, what do you want us to do? And he goes, well, you guys got to throw me overboard. They're like, yeah, we're not throwing you overboard. So they're like, Michael, roll your boat ashore. They're trying to roll all the way across and they can't get it done. They said, finally, we got to toss him out. Verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging instantaneously. He hits the water. That'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Well, still. Until verse 17 happens. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So you take this dude, pew, toss him. He hits the water, the storm ends, and here comes a big fish. He goes, Doop, and he goes, did you see that? It was awesome. <laughs> that was crazy. He just got swallowed up by a great fish. Well, Jesus told you that great fish is a whale. Right? What kind of fish was it? It was a whale. I don't care what scripture, I don't care what anybody else says. No, the Bible says it was a whale. Tony, you, you believe he's a whale? Yeah, I, I, I believe it was a whale. Look at chapter two, though. It says, then Jonah prayed. Oh, first time he's prayed. First time he's had any interaction with God since God spoke to him in chapter one, verse one and two. God speaks, but he doesn't. He runs. Now he's got something to say to God. He's like, what's up? Now it's time to talk. So chapter two, verse one, that Jonah prayed in the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction of the Lord. And he heard me. Oh, man, you got to get that. I cried, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Out of the belly of what? I thought he was in a whale. I thought he was in hell. Well, which is it? Yes. Because while he's in the belly of a whale, where's his soul? It's in hell. Interesting. So he's crying out to the Lord. His body is in a whale, but his soul is somewhere else. Verse 9. Or verse 4. Go to verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Oh, I thought that's what you wanted, bud. You were running from the presence of the Lord, and now you're no longer in his sight. You got what you wanted. You find out that's not what I wanted. Happens all the time, did not it? Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens to him. And what, his, what is his conclusion? Verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. Huh. God, you must be about salvation because if you're making me go through what I'm going through, salvation must be, a, you must be about salvation. Verse 10, 
And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. It's gross. Sorry, if you got a gag reflex, I apologize. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to read a story like this, and we think Pinocchio and Geppetto, don't we? I got a couple pictures for you, and here's the next one. That's what I picture. I picture the old book I used to read, Pinocchio and Geppetto, right? That's from the inside of the book. That's, man, when I hear Jonah, that's what I always picture. It's like some dude just kicking it inside the belly of well for three days and three nights until he gets kicked out. How about the next one? This is, uh, this is what it was on the, on the movie screen, right? 1940, when it was made. 1940, when it was made. There's Geppetto doing his little thing inside the belly of a whale. That's what I picture. But it ain't like that. Because when he got swallowed by that whale, he is immediately in a digestive tract. The enzymes are going to work. He's beginning to be digested. And for three days, his soul is in hell. And he's crying out to the Lord. I don't believe that Jonah was alive in that whale for three days and three nights. I believe he died and God resurrected him. I, I took it another level, man, because that's what Jesus said happened. Jesus said he was, he was gone for three days and three nights. And he rose again. And he goes, the same way is going to be about me. I believe he's a picture of Jesus Christ. I don't believe he was kicking it in a whale like that. I believe when the fish vomited him out, that's gross. It had been whitewashed and gnarly. It had been absolutely disgusting. And so the Lord speaks into the fish, and the fish is like, finally, bleh, spits him out on the dry land. So he's got like fish juice all over him. And he's laying in the sand. Did you get the picture? Gnarly. And what does God tell him? Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Sound familiar? Pretty much identical what he told him in chapter 1. Interesting. And so Jonah arose, verse 3, and went unto Nineveh. Remember that map we had? He's got a long way to go from the sea all the way to get to Nineveh. He makes his way there. I'm sure he would have cleaned up by then. I mean, you would hope. You're right. You would hope he would have bathed, but I don't know. That'd really freak you out if some dude, like, I'll just stop right there. <laughs> Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now, there's a lot of debate about what three days' journey means. Did it take three days to walk around? Did it take three days to go through it? I think, just me, I think it takes three days to go all the way through it, up and down throughout the whole city, inwards and outwards and upwards, just to make, make sure the message is known. That's just me. So he goes in and he, he, begins, to, he begins to preach. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, if you have heard from God. You don't want to be in the city that you're in. You have jumped on a boat. You've gone through a storm. You've been tossed overboard. You've been eaten by a fish. You've been vomited out on dry land. You've been to hell and back, literally. And then you walk into the city. How do you think he sounded? Because his message is yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Now, I think there's all kinds of different ways you can say that, but that's his whole message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Or is it, yet 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. 
I mean, how does he sound? I don't know how he sounds. Have no idea how he sounds, but we know that he's effective because they believe him. They absolutely believe him. All right, so chapter 3, verse 4 says he goes into the city and he, he preaches. But look at verse 5. And so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So if you were here last week, you remember that we were in Joel chapter 2. So check out Joel chapter 2 in verse 12. When God was asking his people to respond to him, this is what he wanted. Turn even to me with all your heart and with fasting. This is God speaking to his people, and they didn't do it. That's in prophet Joel. But here you have the Ninevites doing exactly what God told them to do. Hold on, because look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Notice what, notice what God says. Who knoweth if he will return and repent? Now check out what the Ninevites say. Look what they say, <coughs> sorry, in verse nine. Here's what they say. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? It's almost as if they're quoting scripture, isn't it? It's almost as if they've read Joel. It's almost as if they know what God's word has to say because they're quoting it. So they declare a fast, verse five. In verse nine, they're asking, maybe God will turn his, change his mind. I mean, he brought this, this whale-encrusted dude into our city to preach this message. Maybe, just maybe, God's taking this serious. All right, look at verse 10. And God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Praise the Lord. The, so the people repent and then the Lord repents. Praise Jesus. I mean, this, would you say this is success? That's a good day. Jonah, you were the most effective preacher in the entire Bible. You just got thousands of people to turn unto the Lord. And what do you think Jonah's response is? It ain't praise Jesus, and it isn't praise the Lord. He's like, I stinking knew it. That's his response, chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord. Now he's got something to say to the Lord. And said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled unto Tarshish. You see, this whole story, we haven't been told why he ran. Here's why. He says, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. You know what he just said? He gives you the reason why he chose this obedience. Here's the reason. He believed his Bible. Let that just sit for just a few moments. He believed his Bible. What do you mean he believed his Bible? Check out Joel chapter 2, verse 13. It says, rend your heart, not your garments, and turn to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. It is word for word identical. What you read in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, has been quoted by Jonah in chapter 4 and verse 2. What does that tell me? It tells me when Joel wrote, Jonah read. Jonah believed that that is God's character and that is his heart. And so when God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, 
he immediately remembers Joel chapter two and verse 13. I know what my Bible says, and I know that if I go, those Ninevites are gonna get right with the Lord. You know why? Because I know that you are slow to anger and you are merciful and, and you repent. I know your character, I know your heart, and I know what my Bible says. Therefore, I'm not going to go. What do you have? Biblical disobedience. Right there. Biblical disobedience. He quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 13, word for word. And so here's what we do know. When he showed up in town, he did not have a message of reconciliation. He had a message of condemnation. I, I'm betting he wasn't pleading with Ninevites to get right with the Lord. I'm betting he walked into town angry and upset that God's using him to declare Joel chapter 2 in verse 13. I got another picture for you. That's his message. Right there. Now, I don't know how you share the gospel, but I'm just going to tell you, that ain't how you do it. You don't do it like that. You have conversations. You interact with people. You talk to them. You don't do that. I'm betting when he walked in to Nineveh for a day's journey, it didn't sound like, it did not sound like, he had 40 days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. It didn't sound like that. Yet 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. I can't wait to see it. So a whole lot of people love to declare their righteousness in front of a wicked people. Okay. How many people get saved because of that sign? That many. Let me just put it this way. How many get saved because of your silence? Ain't no difference. How much do you have to hate somebody to know the truth and not tell somebody? I think there's a lesson here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the what? Not the ministry of condemnation. They're condemned already. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And it says in, in verse 19 that he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's in your mouth. You have that message. All right, so that's, that's, that is right there the story. That is the message. But let me give you just a few practical applications and we're out. Something to chew on here. Some practical applications to pull from this and your biblical disobedience. And I don't think any of this is on your sheet. But the reason some believers choose disobedience because they're Bible believers. And maybe that's you. You have a Bible and you read your Bible and you study your Bible and you believe everything that's in that book and you would say hearty amen. And yet somehow, some way that it fuels your disobedience 
because you believe that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do in that book. And somewhere in you, you don't want any part of that. So as you read the word of God, the Bible says that the word of God's going to read you. I don't want any part of that. So I know that's going to happen. So I just close my Bible and I just pretend I just won't read. Biblical disobedience. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Well, I, I believe that. And so I'm not going to allow that because I kind of like how I am, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I don't like my life to change. Therefore, I'm just not going to give my life over to the Lord. I want his salvation, but I don't want his sanctification. That's biblical disobedience. Pray without ceasing. What? What? I don't want to do that. Okay. That's biblical disobedience. And the reality, when you boil this down, just like Jonah, what has God's heart does not have Jonah's heart. Because he didn't stop believing in God. Stop loving what he loves and stop loving who he is. That right there. Are you on a collision course with Tarshish? Are you running away from the Lord? Are you departing from the presence of the Lord in your disobedience? Not because you don't believe the Bible anymore, but because you do. Because you know God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do, and you no longer love what he loves, and you no longer love who he is. Because Jonah understood who God is at his very nature and at his very core, and Jonah did not want that same characteristic in his life. He wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. In fact, look at verse 9. Well, look at verse 5. So chapter 4, verse 5. So Jonah went up out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Can't wait to watch him fry. Can't wait to watch him go down. I did my part. God, you do your part. Verse 9. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Hey, Jonah, you already been there, done that once. You want to do it again? Yeah, apparently, because I, I would rather be dead than to see them right with you. Verse 10. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the, for the which thou hast had not labored. Neither mace to grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And, I, and should I, not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? It's like, man, you are casting judgment on people who don't understand judgment, man. And I'm telling you, that's why a lot of people are running away from the Lord. And they're disobedient because they believe their Bible. And they understand that God's fellowship is maintained in obedience. And they don't stop believing God. They just stop wanting to be near it. Hear that? They just no longer want to be near him. So they choose disobedience. All right, here's something else. Some Christians will never hear God say, arise and go because they aren't in a position to hear from God's word. Well, why won't God tell me to rise and go? Are you in a position to hear from his word? Do you have that book open? Are you meeting with him on the daily? Because that's how God calls you out. 
In, in chapter 2, verse 9, we, we found that he understood that salvation is of the Lord. And so if God is in the salvation business, then we should be about the family business. Amen? That's what we should be about is the family business. So let's be about salvation. And lastly, God used a hateful ambassador to get his point across. And an entire city got right. Praise the Lord. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the power is in the message and not in the delivery. You know what keeps us silent? You know what keeps us, deli- you know what keeps us disobedient and not sharing the gospel? Because we might mess it up. Or I'm not eloquent. I- I'm not going to say it right. I'm not going to do this right. I- I'm not very convincing. Good. Because the power is not in your delivery. The power is in the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. Why? That your faith should not stand the wisdom of men, but in the power of the power of God. I mean, I got to see that firsthand with this young man right here. Shaking. Not able to, not able to know how to, to respond to the message of salvation. I got to see it. You lived that verse. You just didn't know it. How about Romans chapter 1 and verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Jonah was ashamed, but I'm not. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. Not my eloquence, not my ability, not my delivery. The message. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, Jonah and also to the Greek, Nineveh. God uses that same order. And the reason we have the opportunity to be saved, knowing that judgment abides all those who choose to say no, is because somebody give us this power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. And a friend of mine shared that message with me, and I met Christ. And maybe a friend or an acquaintance or Sunday school teacher or whatever shared that message with you, and maybe you got saved. But maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you saw this baptism and you're hearing testimonies and you're trying to wrap your mind all around it. Let me just tell you, God just might be all over you. And the last thing I want you to hear today is that pastor's condemning me. It's not my, that's not my goal. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, you're condemned already, Right? No, I want you to hear that you have the opportunity to be reconciled to a holy, awesome God. You want the bad news and the good news? I'm going to give you both. Just ask Dakota, wherever she's at. This is the same news I gave her. Here's, here's the bad news. You cannot get to God on your own. That's bad news. But it's great news because it takes all the pressure off of you. And that's where some of you are. You've been trying so hard to earn your way to God, to get God's favor, to get him to pay attention. Notice me, save me, heal. All right, you can't get to God on your own. Good news and bad news. Because your sin separates you from him. You can't get to God. That's Romans chapter three, verse 23. And you're that way because you're born into that sin. Okay, that is what it is. That's Romans chapter five, verse 12. But the wages of that sin is death, Romans chapter six, verse 23. And God does not want you to have eternal death, separation from him. He's got an amazing message for you. 
in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He took your sin upon himself and died the death that you deserve and took it all upon him. He became you. He didn't just die for you. He became your sin, literally became your sin. He was buried and laid in the tomb. The Bible says he was raised the third day. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all it takes, is you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. I'm not talking about you coming to church. I'm not talking about getting baptized. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about you being a good person. I'm talking about the fact that you understand that you're not a good person. And you need Christ to save your soul. So every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there anybody who says, you know what, that's me. I do not know Christ as my Savior. Is there anybody here who says, you know what, that's me. I'd love to talk to somebody after the service. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm just going to hook you up with somebody that's going to open the Bible and share with you how you can know Christ as Savior. Anybody? Don't miss this opportunity. This is the opportunity to be saved. You can know Christ as Savior today. Anybody? Okay. Church, do not hear a message like this and walk out of here in biblical disobedience. God wants to use you mightily. He's going to use you differently than everybody else in the room, but he wants to use you mightily. Do not walk out of here knowing what the Bible says and believing everything that Bible says and not be submitted to it. Let's stand together, let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I'm thankful for this book. I'm thankful for these books, Lord, that we looked at. I'm thankful for the story of Jonah. Lord, a story that I would not want written about myself. And yet it's in the Bible for our learning, Lord, that we might glean from its promises. Lord, I pray that we will leave here challenged. Lord, I pray that we will leave here into that mission field, not to run to Tarshish, but to run to that Nineveh, Lord, wherever it is that you've called us to go. May we, may we, may we not be ashamed of the gospel and understand that it is the power and not us. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.